0: Right, hello strangers and welcome to episode 32 of Strangers in the Cinema podcast with myself, Paul Anderson. I nearly called myself Pete Wall then, Pete, but you are in fact Pete, so my apologies. merged into <laughs> one seamless voice.
1: But uh, yes, welcome to episode 32. Excited to kick this one off. Uh, loads to talk about. We'll get straight into it. But before we do, I think Paul, you've got a, a couple of things or at least something that you wanted to, to say.
0: Yeah, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, a Kickstarter project for a short film um, by a friend I suppose we could call him a friend of the show he's not been on the show but we'll call him a friend of the show uh, Jeff Harmer who directed I don't know if anyone's aware of his sort of independent film work we reviewed some of it on the website way back when um, he's basically putting together, together a film called Dead Air and there's a Kickstarter for it so kickstarter.com and then Dead Air uh, it's a puppet infused female led horror comedy short uh, in which an all female rock band battle against evil little creatures at 30,000 feet uh, so Sold. certainly check out that I said if you can't if you can't donate to it, which I understand not you know not everyone can then please by all means share that link. Yeah, support it, share yeah. it around,
1: get the word out there. I'm sure Jeff would appreciate any kind of support that he can get for that project. Is there a trailer or anything like that going around, Paul? At the moment, uh, I
0: believe there is a proof of concept video on the Kickstarter. So yeah, cool. check it out on the Kickstarter. We'll share the link on our Facebook page. I think we did sh- I did share it the other day. I think, but we'll share it again. Uh, just so you guys can see what that's all about. So certainly check that out. Uh, but with that little plug for uh, for Jeff's work, um, back to business as usual, really, so.
1: Yeah, so um, as we said, it's episode 32 today. We have got, as has become the norm um, in recent episodes, we've got two features, they've got a double feature. But before we get to our features, we take our usual trip to the popcorn counter where Paul and I both select films that we've seen recently that we think are worth talking about after that we have our section coming attractions in which each of us will detail a film that is coming out in the near future uh, or fairly near future in the case of Paul's pick for this week but
0: less said about that the better With your rules I think are too stringent You know, like, it needs to be a film that's out within 17 days of the podcast coming out I've not managed to achieve it so I'm just flaunting the rules full stop now so. I am an intolerable dictator but um, <laughs> yeah when we've got out of that section we'll get to the features this
1: week we have got reviews of both uh, the Lego Batman movie And the founder, the film about Ray Kroc, the guy who franchised McDonald's. Some of you might have heard of. Well, not Um, founded. Interestingly, Interestingly interesting. True story. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that later on. Um, When we finish with that, we're going to do a slightly different credit section this week. You know that usually we have a credit section in which we talk about things that are worth giving credit to in the world of film. This week, we're aware that we're recording the show on the Sunday evening of the Oscars, the 89th annual Academy Awards. we haven't obviously seen the results as it stands by the time you listen to this the results will probably be out there because we'll upload it around the time that the ceremony is going on
0: uh what obviously we... that makes the oscars the second biggest event in film this evening <laughs> absolutely Do you, it does you know, just to make that clear, we but...
1: have got listeners in sometimes the triple figures eat that the academy um so yeah, in the credit section, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at a few of the key categories and talk about where Paul and I stand on what we think should win. We're not really interested in what so much will win or how annoyed we're going to be if a certain thing doesn't win, just what we personally Because we're win. really
0: annoyed that American Honey didn't
1: get nominated. Yeah, American anything, Honey's so. not in there, so the, yeah. <laughs> the thing is whole null and void. And um, yeah, so we we can sort of skip over the Oscars, but we can at least give our input when it comes to what we think deserves some recognition for whatever yeah. that's worth and then maybe we'll come back to talk about the awards once we'll we've probably actually come back to it happened. next week
0: but as you know as we said before you know the Oscar, Oscar news is news you can get anywhere um, we'll probably we might talk about who won next week possibly more likely if there's any shocks than if there's not to be honest yeah, but we're not going to pay it too much You, you know too that, much credence you know reality, that the,
1: so. the internet is going to be awash with people giving and it has been already with people giving their Oscar predictions but the thing is that there is a there are two separate issues aren't there here there are what you want to win the Oscar and what you actually think will win the Oscar yeah. and for you know for better or worse, we're left with a ceremony that feels fairly predictable. So hopefully we can shed some light on anyway what what we think is worthwhile and then get some listener input on where you stand on the Oscar-nominated films of this year. But um, before all of that, as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, we have got our popcorn section. Paul, you go first. Step up to the counter. What have you got? What have you seen? What's worth talking about this week? So I think
0: the first film I want to talk about this week is um, a film that I've been meaning to watch for many, many years now. Uh, and that is 2000, Peter Hyams directed I think from 1984 uh, 2010 the year we make contact Right so when you told me you
1: were going to talk about this on the show I was a little bit di- in disbelief that this is a real thing so this is a sequel to 2001 This is a, a Space sequel Odyssey. to
0: 2001 based I believe on Arthur C. Clarke's novel is eight, novel sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey um, and I think maybe because of the quality of sequels two classic films has never been that much cop to be honest i think so the the cynic in me has kind of avoided watching this i don't know if you've Um, seen titanic 2 paul
1: but it's an excellent film
0: well that's that's (laughs) maybe so that may be so it's um but so i I'd been very very cynical about watching this film at all to be honest um and oh my god was i wrong um the film blew me away it's one of those it's so nice occasionally when you come to a film and you go wow why haven't i watched that sooner but mm. i get ahead of myself. So basically just to to give the premise a little bit. So it picks up in 2010, uh 9 years after obviously 2001. Uh and basically the premise of it they send a, a team led uh, a sort of joint Russian and American team uh led by kind of led by Roy Schneider and Helen Mirren uh with John Lithgow on the team. Um there's a few other famous faces turn up in as well which I've completely forgotten off the top of my head in my excitement to talk about it. They basically go looking for the ship, the the, the Discovery from 2001, uh, and the Monolith, and then things go crazy, um, as you might expect. It's just great. It's thoroughly entertaining from start to finish. It's well acted. It's certainly a worthy sequel. I think I was talking to a colleague about this at work, actually, and they summed it up quite well. They said it's, it's less arty than 2001, but I would say no less worthy than 2001. It's just... Wow. It does. It, it really is great. It so, just it, it tells. It's it feel You kind of feel like okay. Do did I need a sequel to it? Two thousand and ten kind of suggests you do because it does kind of conclude the story because two thousand one leaves you with a lot of questions. It doesn't answer all of two thousand one questions, which is good, because uh, you don't want all of those questions answered. But it does give a bit more context to the monolith, and what it is. So I think you
1: know I can speak on behalf of probably most people listening to this when I ask this question. Why do you think this film has been so underseen if it because if you're saying a, a film that is such a, a such a loved um and sort of um i want to say monolithic and i've got to avoid that because it sounds too obvious but i was going to use the word monolithic in it shortly but it's right but such a significant part of film history then has this sequel that you're throwing fairly decent praise on why do you think so few people know about this have seen it and,
0: and well, i think sort of talk i about think it? a lot of people know about it in you know um I work with, with a couple of guys that I work with are very into their films as well and certainly one guy you know I was surprised who hadn't seen it said oh yeah I was aware of that but haven't got around to watching it and I think a lot of people are aware that it's out there and probably because 2001 is revered rightly so uh, as such a classic of its genre and just a classic you know classic Kubrick piece I think a lot of people might have been very cynical and going you know why would I watch a sequel to that can it can it get anywhere near it um it doesn't quite escape the monolithic shadow. There we go, cast by the original, but it comes damn close, and it's certainly, uh, certainly a. a more than worth a watch. I'd say nine on essential viewing for sci-fi fans. I genuinely liked it that much. And sorry, I, really I think did think
1: you mentioned this, but what was the release year?
0: 1984, I think.
1: Eighty four, right. Yeah. So yeah, those of you who are unaware of this before and I would include myself in that, I would definitely check it out if you've got mm. interest in, in no, it's, it's great. 2001, really, Which you really, know it's, really it's one of those films that when you ask film fans, you know, to name their sort of top five or ten films, two thousand and one so often comes up. So yeah, if you haven't seen that, definitely get onto that. Um, this would be presumably available on, on disc at this point So
0: I did have a look on Netflix I watched it on Blu-ray in the end so it's, it's, out, it's out there it's probably possibly on streaming services somewhere but yeah widely available I think yeah. so yeah no superb but blew me away very pleasantly surprised Cool. Well, um, my
1: first pick for this week, Paul, is the film. Well, a film that I was really, really sort of looking forward to, and then thankfully was picked up by Netflix, and so has been launched on Netflix in tandem with its wide release in the United States. Which is amazing, isn't it? Which is really really gave
0: credit to Netflix last week, but this another slight nod to for them to release a film day and date with the US release is great. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. uh,
1: Absolutely. I mean, I should get to the title before we brush over that. That that is, um, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. This is the directorial debut of Make-On-Blair. Um, listeners to this show will be aware of make on blair because he is the star of Blue Ruin, which was, I think, the first review we ever, we ever did for this It was our little podcast. test run, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, the and that was available to listen to as well. But um, he was also, obviously, in um, Green Room, which was uh, the, the follow-up to, to Blue Ruin. Now... Macon Blair behind the camera is a different proposition just because he succeeded as an actor and he's been in certain popular films that we or films that we've liked a lot doesn't mean that he's going to succeed behind the camera in this one he directs um, the actress Melanie Linsky uh, who we talked about or I talked about recently when she was in Claire Duval's directorial debut The Intervention
0: Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: she plays a, a sort of 30, late 30 something woman who is... Was
0: she in up in the air, Pete?
1: she was enough in the air as it goes forward. but yeah in that one that i caught up with recently she plays a woman who is struggling with the fact that she might not want to get married and or have children um, and a lot of the strength of that film i think lies in the performance of melanie linsky in this film too she plays alongside elijah wood in a role that i think <laughs> he nails as successfully as perhaps uh, joseph gordon levitt in hesher if, if you've ever seen that where he plays a sort of metaler outside a loner character so that there was a lot to enjoy there but to set this thing up properly
0: i, I know paul you've seen it as well right uh, yeah elijah wood just he stole the show really and melanie linsky was great as well i think they were both great the chemistry they had was superb so, so um, the, elijah wood was awesome the, the no setup
1: account. for the thing is that um, ruth who is the melanie linsky character has her house broken into and in combination with the elijah wood character um, she, takes in, she takes sort of the law into her own hands and looks for restitution, looks to sort out the situation and the wrongs that have been done to her because she's living a life in which she is increasingly depressed and feels like the people around her are creating a sort of hell on earth. It was weird because when I watched, you know, the opening 10 to 15 minutes of this film where we're establishing this world in which everyone is essentially stepping on Ruth Manly Linsky's character yeah. it brought to mind things like David Foster Wallace speech um, This is Water which okay. is all about I don't know if I've talked about this before but This is Water is a speech David Foster Wallace gave where he talks about two fish that are swimming along in a stream and one fish says to the other fish um, how do you like the water and the second fish says what is water and this is used to jump into a story or a, a, an exposition I suppose of the way in which the damage that the world does to you is something that you can either deal with or it will erode you and break you down yeah melanie linsky in this movie is trying to find a solution or a or a resolution to the problems that are constantly besieging her in doing so she goes deeper and deeper into a sort of heart of darkness of human misery and uh, violence what did you make of this thing, Paul? Overall, because we haven't really talked about it before coming on the
0: show, I, I really enjoyed it. I have to say, um, to, to kind of set the scene, although it sounds it's quite dark, it's definitely a black comedy. Um, it's, I'd say, it's it's consistently funny from start to finish. For me, it kind of felt like a, a, a darkly comic take on Blue Ruin. I don't know if you got that kind mm. of vibe where she's kind of where she's got a house burgled and she kind of sets out not to not so much to get revenge in the same way that Blue Ruin is, but to kind of hold people to account for it. And it kind of felt like that, and I think it's, it's sporadically ultra-violent, which I think is something he's, he's definitely taken from his work with Jeremy Saulnier. Yeah, I mean, you're um, absolutely right
1: on that point with Jeremy Saulnier, is the idea that we've got here a character who has no idea what they're doing. Well, actually, two characters, because yeah. Elijah Wood could <laughs> be grouped in with that as well, with his throwing stars and, and He's quite effective those throwing stars,
0: considering he doesn't know what he's doing. But yes, it yeah. is amusing, yeah. It's when out he, of picks, depth when he picks his again, throwing yeah.
1: star out of the wall and says, yeah, that's how hard I threw it. But yeah... yeah we've got these two characters who don't know what they're doing and are in way above their heads but are just trying to do what they think is right even though the odds are stacked against them and even though the world they're stepping into is is not their comfort zone and not really where they belong and that has a lot as you say in common with the the Macon Blair character in Blue Ruin mm. so there's a nice sort of overarching uh theme emerging between Jeremy Solnier's work yeah. and, and Macon Blair's now as a director um yeah, I think this thing rattles along at a good pace it's got this kind of rollicking punk soundtrack um, which is yeah, pretty fun and keeps things fresh, if anything was a criticism Paul, I don't know where you stand on this I think in the last third because he's servicing a lot of what I think, again linking back to Solnion and particularly maybe Green Room here, mm. um, a lot of that hyper-violence played for sort of darkly comic laughs it tends to lumber a little bit towards its resolution when more and more is piled on what before was a fairly lean
0: plot i yes and no I, I do see what you're saying i think because it's his sort of his feature film debut i think you can you can have a pass on that to be perfectly honest um i do see your point i think that perhaps for, for me i quite I, I quite enjoy sporadically used violence. um but
1: yeah but it's not I'm not making a point against using violence directly what I'm saying is that like when we get to that sort of ballet of violence mm. towards the end it feels like what we built as a fairly uh, concise character study in the first two thirds becomes a bit more of a cat and mouse
0: yeah, violent yeah that's fair yeah for, for, no I'd say yeah, that that's minutes. fair that's fair but you know I don't think it detracts too much from the, from the finished product but um, I find it easy to recommend personally but... yeah
1: yeah, no, absolutely I don't want to sound negative here because if you followed us for a little bit you know how much regard we have for Jeremy Saulnier for Green Room for Blue Ruin so it would be a no brainer that you catch up with this thing and as we mentioned at the top it's streaming on Netflix now it's featured at the top of the yeah. page there's not really any excuse not to catch up with it and there's so much to recommend here yeah whether you're a fan of Elijah Wood Melanie Linsky uh, or the director or or uh the previous work of jeremy solnier that we yep. mentioned so loads to recommend it yeah get involved um much to build on as well for macon blair i think, I think so there's a lot of
0: potential for for, uh, for a for a strong career ahead of him In fact. yeah and so. let's
1: have melanie linsky and more stuff please yes
0: agreed what agreed. You next paul right that brings me to uh fences um which i think is the i'm, I'm gonna have a bit of a gloat here which i think was possibly the last of I've finally done it this year I've finally watched all of the Best Picture nominations in advance of the Oscars happening even though I said I wouldn't talk about the Oscars and don't care much about the Oscars I've done it Fences was the last one for me to catch up with Um, I'll try and keep it fairly concise on Fences because it may come up again when we talk about performances later Um, it's based on a play which apparently Denzel Washington and Viola Davis played the roles on the Broadway play um, as well as acting these roles in this film so Kind of a, a, a drama um set in suburbia with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis obviously this is married the 1950s? couple. I believe the fifties, yeah. Obviously, yeah. playing like a married couple. Denzel Washington's clearly an alcoholic and kind of this overbearing overbearing father figure and, you know I'd say he's not a bad man, but he's certainly not a great husband. Um and saying any more than that kind of spoils the plot a little bit. Um Overall, I did enjoy this. I think the perform the performances are probably stronger than the film, um, directed by Denzel Washington, incidentally as well. Uh, the performances are definitely stronger than the film, I think, and I think the film suffers in places from feeling a little bit too much like a play. Um, a lot, I, I have no issue with films using a single location. I think that can be very effective in. In certain in certain genres, but this for me feels a, the whole film felt a little bit static. It almost felt like they were shooting a play, mm. um, which I think is just a little bit. Perhaps the film could have been a little bit more adventurous in its direction. Um, that's not to take anything away from the script. That's not to take any anything away from the performances because they are magnificent, um, and I think uh, that. Davis should be a shoe in for Best Supporting Actress.
1: Now, we've... Yeah, I'm yet to catch up with Fences, unfortunately, but we've all seen that clip of Viola Davis doing the sort of, um, you know, t- tears all over her face, sort of almost frothing at the mouth, that that speech that she gives to yeah. Denzel Washington about how she's been stuck in one place and her life hasn't been able to progress, just like his in the conditions in which they're living is the film as a sort of emotionally powerful as that scene might suggest or is that really the one that's been pulled for no for the most
0: part yes it is um it is it drifts into heavy handedness from time to time but then a lot of films do this time of year um yeah it's, it's emotionally effective know i'd say it's not my favorite of the the best picture nominees but it's it's a very very well put together film mm. um, and yeah a lot to like
1: okay Um, last for me this week in in the popcorn section I've got a film I caught up with again on Netflix I feel like I'm constantly going back to that (laughs) Well, but this is a documentary called The Fear of 13 uh, directed by a British director called David Singleton Um, it was nominated for the best documentary at the London Film Festival in 2015 so a couple couple of years ago now Um, although that's towards the end of the year so I guess like a, a year and a half ago um, this tells the story of a convicted murderer who spent 23 years I think just over 20 years on death row and he finally decides to stop the appeals process because he feels that the best solution or the best next step is for him to be executed um, wow okay f- from this position Towering stuff then this yeah time. from this position the film is set up as a um, single camera monologue with cutaways to then sort of impressionistic um, scenes involving fairly artfully put together uh, props that help to illustrate elements of the story. I believe that originally the filmmakers were going to have live action reenactments of right. some of the events of his life in the film and decided against it in the end. Now it's interesting because I think that in making that decision... Can I
0: just stop you there for a yeah, second? I go ahead. I already, having not seen it, I think he, they've made the right choice. I can't see live action reenactments that would feel a little bit like crime watch.
1: Yeah, me. I mean it's it's interesting because I was going to say that I think in making that decision they've sort of um shown their hand in the sense that this is very much in in debt to the filmmaker Errol Morris. Okay. Um, if you see something like The Thin Blue Line, yeah. the Errol Morris documented crime I don't know documentary what's that in
0: film studies, and, and yeah, and, and,
1: and a heap of his other work, but Errol Morris is, is most known for being off camera at all times, asking his questions without ever appearing on screen. He's also known for having um, things like slow motion sequences of glasses falling and shattering on the floor, of of rain, of, of, of sort of um. Scenes that build emotion and feeling without showing live action reenactments that we, that we were talking about and he's a a master in, in that art, really. I think this thing isn't on the level of something like The Thin Blue Line, but nevertheless, it's a pretty intriguing tale. Right, because not everyone
0: can get to Rowan Morris' level that's right I mean
1: yeah and of course we're here hot on the heels of and I suppose with this coming out a couple of years ago it might be actually slightly before but things like making a murderer I wouldn't be surprised that one of the the things that has motivated Netflix to push this is because things Mm. like making a murderer have done so well of late and of you know and the jinx and so on and so forth yeah um yeah there's a lot to like here um the guy himself is called Nick Yaris he speaks very well he's very articulate it actually kind of reminded me of um, the monologues of Spalding Grey, if anyone's familiar. And if you're not, get on that, because um, Spaulding is the guy who made Swimming to Cambodia about okay. being in the, the film The Killing Fields as, as an actor, but has also done a number of other monologues in which he, uh, often directed by Steven Soderbergh, actually, in which he uh, tells a story and it's just him, and he managed to bring it to life through his voice and his articulation. Now again, maybe Nick Yaris isn't quite on that level, but this really pulls you into the story of a man who felt the full force of the legal system turn against him in sort of the most horrible way. If you've seen things like um, uh, West of Memphis, then you know the territory that yeah. we're in. Yeah, I know. Um, you're from and yeah, if any of that, any of the stuff that I've mentioned, sort of rings a bell or, or piques your interest, then check it out. That film again was uh, The Fear of Thirteen, and it's streaming on Netflix right now.
0: Excellent. I'll give that a watch. I haven't uh, caught up with that yet. So. Good, where does that bring us to? Well, that, that brings, brings us, us to coming attractions, it, doesn't it? It does pull. I've we... asked you and then answered my own question. We're both and interrupted so you twice eagerly
1: there. on this that we're coming straight into coming attractions. Um, get on it! Yeah, we're excited about tons of stuff that's coming up this year. We've just watched a trailer reel of about a dozen
0: different trailers, which is quite nice about bringing it to weekly. Which means we're probably, hopefully, probably never going to miss a film trailer again. But yeah, absolutely. What, what jumped out for me, and as I said, it isn't two weeks away. I think it's down for release uh, March seventeenth. I think in the US, which means it could come to the UK anytime between now and never. Uh, I imagine it will come out in the UK at some point though because it does have uh, two of the world's most beautiful men in it uh, Ryan Gosling and Michael Fassbender mm. um, so yes it's directed by Terence Malick and it's called Song to Song um, now I didn't go too much onto The Wonder I've read quite a lot of negative things about Knight of Cups and haven't bothered watching it um, the trailer for this, but of course, we, we should mention we were both very much on board with the Tree of Life, which is yes, yes. Sorry, stay. what I have yes, what I haven't, what I haven't mentioned is I am a massive fan of Terrence Malick. And, and earlier, Terrence um, Malick. I obviously, bought, you kind of go to give you sense. to give you some context of how much I like Terrence Malick. I bought an American Blu-ray player just so I could order Badlands on Blu-ray. So that's how much of a Next fan level. of Terrence Malick I am. So yes, I do love Terrence Malick. To the wonder, I didn't go too much on Knight of Cups. I haven't caught up with yet and haven't read good things. I have today with Song to Song. I'm not entirely convinced this will be great. It does look. I think you you coined the not coined the phrase, but you used the phrase shoegazing. gazing. Um, and my other half did say that it just looks like there might be just lots of people looking out a window for a long time. It just seems to be about kind of four hipsters who play in a band. And then have really self-reflecting moments all mm-hmm. the time. I don't know. I'm not convinced by the trailer, to be honest. I'll there seemed to be beautiful shots of a city
1: that was perhaps Los Angeles. Yeah, I think so, yeah. In the, the, in the and trailer. Sort of
0: Fastbender and, and uh, Gosling kind of I mean, it's a changing though, experiences though, isn't it? and stuff. And, yeah, I'm yeah, dubious. Paul,
1: when you brought this up that it was going to be your coming attraction for, for this episode, um, I admitted to you that... You know, you haven't caught up with Knight of Cups, and neither have I. In fact, I was a massive advocate of the Tree of Life, having been into previous Terence Malick stuff. And uh, to the extent that when I was told at the box office when I went to see it in Toronto that um, a number of people have asked for refunds, refunds. Are you sure you want to see this? <laughs> I was very confident in saying yes. Having said that, when it got to um, his next film, which was mm. To the Wonder, I still haven't seen it. And a funny sort of thing happened where I think. I at once was very much taken with Terence Malick's m- m- latter aesthetic these days um, which has been prominent throughout previous stuff as well but almost felt like I'd had my fill for a little bit of time and yeah, then this to the
0: competent and just, just slightly off topic but to the wonders is competent enough film uh, and it looks great there's just not a lot going on to the to the point where I'd say I probably watched it two years ago and I don't really remember anything about it and if you, you, know, you talk about a Terrence Malick film and you can't remember it, something's gone amiss. Mm. Um, but just well, anyway, moving on to your kind well, of it, attraction. But, before but no, I
1: mean, just the last point on this, Paul, is yeah. it's a perfect pick, though, I think, then, because for people who listen to this show and uh, maybe into some of the stuff that we're into, is exactly the kind of film that is a sort of um, uh, a real talking point when Terence Malick puts something new out because, well, in my case, maybe I'll end up never watching it or we'll see it and people will have very divided opinions and it will bring about a lot of conversation. And of course it will bring about a review on a a later episode of this. So I look forward to that. Um, My pick is very much more immediate and I'm sort of sending a call out to the strangers amongst us um, here, uh, our friends and uh, neighbours and so on who listen to this show because it's the release in the UK of Tony Erdman now, well
0: the release in Cineworld in them of Tony Erdman well, it's Cineworld, been out for a while, Cineworld
1: nationally though yeah. um, of Tony Erdman now yeah there are other chains available we just happen to have that one here uh, Tony Erdman of course is nominated for the best uh, foreign language film at the Oscars the Academy Awards which is coming up tonight um, we've heard so many great things about it we've had all these kind of um, you know, people frothing at the mouth to praise it over award season and of course here we haven't been able to get it unless you're you know doing illegal things online which of course we would never approve of so really excited for this um, the setup of of Tony Erdman in case you don't know is that uh, there's a father who's a sort of practical joker he wants to have a better relationship with his daughter he doesn't know how to do this so he goes about pretending or passing himself off as the life coach for her company's CEO um, and crops up in her life, kind of uninvited over and over and over again. Is it a form of bullying? Is it real uh, parental care? Who knows? Uh, very sort of black comedy, as far as I can gather. Really excited, and it shows in the World chain at 7.45 tomorrow night, which would be Monday the 27th. Right?
0: Well, as much as we're quick to shoot down Cineworld all the time do you know what I'll give him credit for at least showing it once better late than never Cineworld. Yeah. a little bit late to be honest but, but it's better there. late than never it's there
1: once so yeah if you are listening to this when we upload it either on Sunday night or Monday morning just to let you know if you've got one of those cinemas close to you and you haven't caught up with Tony Erdman yet which is probably most of you Uh, if you're in the UK then yeah evening time there's a screening it's tomorrow night as in Monday or today if you're listening to this on Monday if you're listening to it Tuesday and beyond then sorry you missed the boat but it'll be available you know in due course I'm sure
0: so that brings us to features reviews Pete feature reviews Uh, what have we got this week then Pete we've got Lego Batman we're starting off with Um, Pete set up Lego Batman for us or the Lego Batman movie as it's full time yeah
1: of course the Lego Batman movie follows from uh, follows on from the Lego movie which was a sort of unexpected massive success and was awesome it was on our
0: film of the year list in 2014
1: would you say say, everything was awesome in that movie yeah oh Uh, nice nice. uh, and so lego batman comes out and instead of people sort of um you know being bemused by the idea that they'd make a lego batman movie and and where is the market for that we know that there's already an inbuilt market because the lego movie did so well this one is directed by chris mckay that he's a director who has mostly worked on stuff like Adult Swim um, animated stuff in the past, Robot Chicken, and Moral Oral, which I like quite a lot. But they're not, you know, this scale of of yeah. production. Um, writers here, there are, I believe, five credited writers. Paul for the Lego Batman movie. Which, Too many writers, perhaps. Yeah, it do always we think? <laughs> it always gives <feels> you <laughs> a bit of trepidation when you see that there are a five five gentlemen or ladies involved in writing the the screenplay of of one film. But at the top of that list is uh, Seth Graham Smith who's done, well, you tell me how you respond to this, Paul, done stuff like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies
0: in recent he years. He wrote the novels, though, didn't he, of those, rather than the, the screenplays. But he worked the on the screenplays mistakes, as well. Yeah, also yeah. wrote the books they're based on, I think. So. Right, OK. That's a bit of pedigree as a writer, in fairness. I
1: mean, if you call that pedigree, I guess. Well, yeah. yeah. It depends where you stand on those films, I suppose. There's, they're not unlikable let's say that uh another at the top of that list is Chris McKenna who's worked on American Dad and Community which is the thing we like quite a lot so there's potential here from this group of writers for this property yeah we're both fairly decently big fans of Batman I think in general particularly the Chris Nolan Batman and then going back to the 80s and 90s the yeah not the the recent uh,
0: Batman versus Superman debacle but no but the
1: Michael Keaton Batman and, and so on but um yeah and interestingly uh, both of those writers that i've just mentioned have got upcoming projects they are respectively Beetlejuice and jumanji so yeah it turns out it's the mid 90s right now good there's um, more good remakes to look forward to then the other thing that really strikes you with a lego batman movie before you see it is the absolutely gargantuan size of the a-listers or at least b-listers that make up the cast um I mean the list I could read this list but it just goes on and on and on at the top of it we've got Will Arnett playing Batman I think reprising you know. the role from Lego Movie he was very good actually he is very funny I mean yeah. he's funny in most things he does to be honest But we've got um, Michael Cera alongside him as a psychic Robin who starts the film as an orphan boy called Dick uh, we've got Rosario Dawson the beautiful Rosario Dawson playing Batgirl or Barbara Gordon the commissioner's daughter who takes over as the commissioner of Gotham City we've got Ra- Ray Fiennes Zach Galifianakis Jenny Slate Jason Manzoukis Conan O'Brien Doug Benson Zoe Kravitz Kate Micucci Eddie Izzard so Seth by Green and on and, them, on and on and on and on and on yeah <laughs> well I, the point I'm making Paul that you are undercutting is that um, there are a huge number of big names in this film who have obviously committed to something that they think is going to be successful? Was it successful? If so, why? If not, why not? Uh,
0: no. Okay. Let, let us know why. Um. There's. It starts off and there's some really nice and quite amusing nods to the history of the character. I like even even like the opening where Batman's given a dialogue of the opening, and like the Rat Pack logo comes up and it's like, "Who are Rat Pack? What do they do?" Right, that's pretty funny. And uh, you know, and there's there's comments about how useless the Joker is and they refer to his plan in the Dark Knight and then they refer to the, what about the bit in the Carnival with the Prince music playing and hark back to the 18th Tim Burton's 89 it's, Batman.
1: It's fair to say Paul and you're exactly the man to, to feel this particular sort of uh, statement that masquerades as a question this is absolutely laden down with fan service. I think I, the, first, I right?
0: the first kind of half an hour is and I think that's where it works the best and honestly when I came into it I was like yes we're on to something here this is going to be good again. But the like second this, half this is going to be good. Know. I think the second half is laden down with fan service, but the, the issues I have is the first half is very funny, and then for me, the film just rapidly spirals down to an exercise, to an exercise in middle-of-the-road family-friendly averages. But here... Do you
1: think this is where we depart a little bit? Because not on this film particularly, but on this idea of fan service. Because I think when I say fan service, you think positive. When I say fan service, I mean negative. Okay. Because I'm getting tired of superhero movies with... Oh, oh but it's got a lot of fan service. That's great for the fact, You know, how about it's just a good film? But anyway, I, I digress. I think... Some of this, Paul, is good. I think that the fact that we set up Batman as a sort of... Comic tragic character who has nobody to talk to when he goes back to the Batcave. He has a uh, what's the thing? Lobster thermidor that he microwaves yeah. on his own and then watches uh, Jerry Maguire in his home cinema. Like that stuff's
0: really funny. I think. And the, it's
1: smartly written. Am I am I wrong?
0: Yeah, he's a smart. He's a smartly written take on Batman. But the smartly written take on Batman, that gag, I think, ran its course in the Lego Movie. Right. He was very funny as a sub character in the Lego Movie. I don't think he sustains a whole film. To start with I hoped he might. And I certainly don't think getting five different writers to work on the same film are ever gonna lead you to a cohesive and hilarious script. But it's just the the problem is with this is the strength of the Lego movie, I think. It was so good and no one yeah. expects it to be that good. And yet, this comes across as horrendously average in comparison. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: the Lego movie was so sort of genius in its its meta narrative yeah. as well, right? Where this maybe doesn't quite reach those yeah. heights. And I would say, Paul, that there's probably a second prong that you know would be on the um, the uh, I don't know spear with which we attack this thing, maybe, which is that you might fall victim. At least I fell victim a little bit to Batman fatigue because since what 2005, we've had. Batman Begins, then we've had um, The Dark Knight, then we've had The Dark Knight Rises all the Chris Nolan films, then we've also had uh, Batman vs Superman and we've had the Ben Affleck appearance as Batman in the Suicide Squad movie so we've had five outings Mm. for Batman leading up to this and there's a certain point at which the younger audience, maybe, who haven't been able to see those films, can appreciate this Batman narrative. But older, the older audience, or you know, people in their in their later twenties and thirties and, and beyond, might feel a bit like, yeah, we're very aware of this arc, and why are we dragging I see, it out? Yeah,
0: again? I do see a point. I don't even think that that's really the issue with it, because it, it could have been. I think it just could have been better. Like, I mean, the, you know, there's certain bits like the Gremlins turn up and and the the Lord of the Rings characters show up and you're like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Well, it's sort of like... Um
1: isn't it a bit like you know you get those movies and this is probably sounding way too harsh because I quite enjoyed this
0: movie but I didn't hate um, it I think I'm coming across a bit too but, negatively but it the, was fun you but know it the, was what, just the, a disappointment the, the
1: Wayans Brothers movies where yeah. you do like date movie and scary movie and you know all those things paranormal movie or whatever where just having a thing on screen is enough like oh yeah. look it's the Gremlins cool that's, that's exactly what it's, it's Voldemort like, oh there's Sauron there's cool. Voldemort oh he's very
0: yeah. refined oh cool like it's, it's not enough for me and I think they relied a bit too much I think you know you've hit them then on the head there relied a bit too much on gimmicks carrying the second part of the film and the gimmicks don't carry the second part of the film
1: now in, in sort of slightly more positive I would say and you mentioned it before we talked about it for a moment um, Will Arnett I think shines in this role uh, yeah. he did in the Lego movie he does here as well he's probably I think perfect casting and I would Contend that maybe he's the best incarnation of Batman since Michael Keaton. I don't know if you since Christian Bale. Yeah, I cried
0: at Dark Knight Rises. Don't forget. Since, so you're asking, you know, yeah. you're asking an odd... I even like Dark Knight Rises, and that's controversial. So yeah, your
1: impenetrable growling Chris Christian Bale may be a bit of a divisive uh, Batman. But I mean, you know, we can fall on different sides of, of that. Debate. I'm not knocking Keaton. Don't get me wrong. I suppose. I mean, in, in, well, interesting I see enough, what
0: you're doing there. I think you're trying to segue us. Uh, maybe you're doing I am. a Keaton segue, aren't maybe you? I am. Without uh, even realizing uh, you've. Done yeah i mean
1: morgan (laughs) freeman um a much respected hollywood actor has come out and said that he thinks is the best ever performance as batman as it goes Um, okay so yeah we'll we'll take his word for that but yeah i think it's right up there and there's that it it is definitely a sort of antidote to the however much you like christian bale very humorless version of batman that was christian bale
0: yes i just wish lego batman was funnier Uh, yeah uh, i think i can i think i can go with you there
1: man like there's smart writing here there's stuff to enjoy but i i think the points that we're making will resonate it starts off
0: for the first 20 minutes it's like the lego movie and you're thinking yes actually there's a lot in this a bit like pixar's i think lego movie kind of got the pixar spirit right without being pixar probably for the first time another another uh, animation studio has done that um and then for the first 20 minutes of this you're like yes this is aimed at everyone not just kids and by the end you're just like this is just aimed at children now and Um, that's a disappointment I'm
1: going to shoehorn this in before we exit this to get to the next review and that is one of the things that made me smile the widest coming out of this film was the fact that the Bane character was voiced by Doug Benson Uh, Doug Benson is a a comedian you might know from um, a super high me the thing where he kind of takes off on on super size me and smokes weed for 30 days in a row and then doesn't Uh, But Doug Benson does a a podcast um, as uh, you know, as we do called Doug loves movies in which he has been doing his Bane impression for years to apparently no avail just because he found it quite impression. and then he gets this. Yeah. And apparently he got the role over Guillermo del Toro. So um, interesting that Doug Benson finally gets his moment in the, in the spotlight. So that was, that was great. But yeah, I think Batman Lego movie, Lego Batman movie is, is good, but far from great.
0: And I'm going to, I'm going to, go back to this for you I'm going to let you I'm going to let you have this success so you would say it's the best Batman performance since Michael Keaton Michael Keaton you say Paul Uh, I say Michael Keaton yes what's that guy up to lately Um, Michael Keaton has starred in a film just been released actually called The Founder believe it or not wow seamless seamless segue (laughs) we're in there Uh, We're in there. That that was as slick as
1: the process by which you would be served a cheeseburger at the outlet uh, restaurant McDonald's. Yes. So, um, yes, of course, we have clumsily blundered our way into our second feature (laughs) review, which is the founder uh, telling the tale of Ray Kroc. This is the uh, fairly unscrupulous salesman who had the vision, let's say at this point, had the vision to franchise the McDonald's brand nationwide and then worldwide made an incredibly large amount of money out of it and ruined a lot of relationships that he had in the process. And the lead here, as, as Paul has uh, hinted at quite strongly, is, of course, played by Michael Keaton, uh, with support from Nick Offerman and, and John Carroll Lynch as the McDonald brothers. Um, yes, Paul, so, you know, set this up in terms of your thoughts of this thing and, and how they actually went about telling the story. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, um, insightful.
0: No, I think I think I would say that, that Keaton, as he always is, I'm a big fan of his. is very watchable, and I think him him as Ray Croc is certain is certainly a big draw into the film. I think the issue is, and I think there's an issue that that plagues a lot of these films is that whilst the story is interesting and you don't you do learn quite a lot about McDonald's and actually learn quite a lot about the business practi- the business practices that go behind McDonald's, and I don't think they're the I think may have inspired a generation of people to kind of buy the business buy the property that businesses are attached to um and that's quite interesting i did learn a bit about it i think the problem is i said that the problem is haunts a lot of films like this is that that's great but they try and hang they try and hang what essentially could have been a documentary they try and turn that into a narrative Mm. and it doesn't always work so you end up for me with this and this suffers from it you end up with kind of a lot of generic cliches thrown into the mix yeah like the the woman that he meets and he leaves his wife for and as you said you know you'd never leave Laura Dern we're aware of this but he does which probably makes you hate him all the more but the whole the whole sub the whole romance subplot and it just
1: I mean the, the woman in question is played by Linda Cardellini so I don't know I mean or there, is it? it's a
0: hard call but... there's a debate to be had there um, but,
1: but yeah I, I, you mentioned about you know it falls into sort of some cliched uh, canyons here and I think it is a criticism that could also be leveled at the film Joy that came out at the beginning of last year, mm. the David O. Russell film, which was Jennifer Lawrence playing the woman who wanted to get her mop design uh, taken on board by QVC. Um, and initially, you sort of, it, like in this film too, right? It turns out that this guy is kind of terrible. But at the beginning, you, you root for the guy. He's an yeah. underdog, right? He's just trying to make a buck. He's trying to provide for his wife. His wife's Laura Dern, as you mentioned, that's something that you would want to do in that position. But as the As fil- you
0: said the word, as you mentioned, you sounded exactly, sound exactly like Nick Offerman then. I just wanted to, to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what maybe me think, But you did, you did. Just well, a moment there. Well, I'll, I'll take that and run with it, Paul, because... Um, <laughs> Yeah,
1: there are good performances here, though, right? Not only Michael Keaton, but also Nick Offerman that we know from Parks and Rec, of course. Yeah, as, as I love Nick Offerman. Ron, Ron Swanson yeah, who has
0: become a sort the turf ter- and turf
1: cult- cultural <laughs> cultural touchstone. Um, also, you see here, I think quite a, a savvy bit of casting of, of B.J. Novak that we know from the American Office, who was the temp in the American Office, who plays a uh, an advisor who sort of overhears Ray Croc in the bank and yeah. tells him that he can help him with with bringing this thing to a sort of wider. Bigger scale. Uh, Laura Dern, of course, is great. She doesn't have a lot to do, but she's wonderful in everything. A lot of it is sort of waiting by the phone and looking yeah. upset and neglected. Uh, Patrick Wilson has a, a decent role in this film as well as a, a guy who buys out a, a franchisee license from from Ray
0: Kroc But I think, yeah. As I we mean, said, what did you think? I mean, I just I thought it was just average. I just I think that it. I liked I liked it, but I didn't. It, it was as okay. It, as it sort of
1: chundered on, I lost interest a bit I thought I was needed a Happy
0: Meal toy towards the end to keep, to keep me interested
1: yeah you know like that feeling you get where you really want McDonald's and then when you start eating it it feels <laughs> really, really good and really great it, yeah. and then <laughs>
0: after it you just sort of feel tired and
1: fatigued and then maybe a tiny bit sick I think that's a bit like how you might feel in this because to be fair you know stepping out of the theater you get all of these things in the final um screens telling us real information about for example the way that mcdonald brothers was screwed out of what turns out to be about a hundred million dollars per year mm. in perpetuity because of the way that ray crock set up their handshake agreement on exiting the uh, the mcdonald franchisee thing yeah y- you know what do we take from this uh a, a kind of a terrible unscrupulous man set up a giant business empire that to this day is one of the most successful corporate ventures in the world yeah uh and here's the story of that there's something a bit a bit just sort of dispiriting about the whole activity i suppose then and michael keaton's performance can distract you for so long but only for so long i think
0: yeah it's, it's okay it's but not certainly not essential um i would say it's interesting but if unremarkable. Yeah, maybe not a happy meal. That doesn't doesn't
1: really mean anything. Wow. Just just got that in well, there. Maybe not a happy meal.
0: Um coming out of our our features section for today, Paul, Can we pay credits to our own jokes, do we think? Is that <laughs> that not? No, let's not do I that. I feel like That's we so, do
1: by like laughing at our own jokes occasionally Maybe we That's do. Yes, but we're thing. narcissistic
0: <laughs> enough to put our own voices onto a podcast, so you know.
1: So, yeah, coming out of the features <laughs> section, we wanted to give credit to a couple of things. Now, we're going to get into our thoughts on Oscar nominations in just a moment. But first of all, we wanted to mention um, Bill Paxton. Because of the fact that we got the news just today, right, that, that, that Bill Paxton's passed away at the age of 61, um, very young you know, I got this
0: news while I was at work today, which is awful news, to be honest. Bill Paxton is uh, he's awesome. Mm. um and yeah I just, aliens directed frailty which we talked about earlier yeah well it's funny because um, you know uh,
1: for the listeners anyway uh, i said to paul when we were talking about bill paxton off air although he's done all these these huge roles in in titanic and aliens and so on and so forth uh twister uh that uh the thing that really comes to mind or came to mind first of all for me was, was frailty and I said well what a performance in frailty and Paul said well you know I think he was the director of that and I checked it and it's actually true so it's testament to the power of, of the man because you know he was involved both sides of the camera no, I'm not saying frailty is one of the one of the greats of the era but a fine performance it's a good and, it's a good and, and a fine one, direction yeah no. so involved in so many great projects Bill Paxton and for him to be taken at 61 is, is really really sad yeah news. it's a sad loss and uh, may he rest in peace Absolutely. Um, so, Paul, Oscars, they happen tonight. The 89th Academy Awards, the annual Academy Awards, happen this evening. We are buzzing, aren't we? The 89th White Old Men Awards. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before. We're not massive advocates of the ceremony. It does drag on, and the awards seem to be fairly arbitrarily distributed at times. But we thought, hey, let's have our say. On what should win this year? So, get into that, Paul. Best picture first of all. I want your say on the best picture nominations.
0: Best picture nominations. Um, We're well, not going to list everything that's well, been nominated uh, for, into, for I this
1: think... one. I, for this one, I can do it, Paul, because well, it's pretty brief. Okay, we've got. Let's
0: let's, let's do it. Let's yeah, do ju- it. just for best picture. We've got. In case you're unaware, we've got
1: La La Land, Arrival, Seen it. Seen it. Lion, Seen It, Hello, High Water, Seen It, anyway, anyway, I'm not Hidden to Figures. Anything, but... We've got Moonlight. We've got Manchester by the Sea, and we've got Fences i would say with great confidence we've reviewed all of them on the show yes so you're in the best
0: position because you've seen all of them to say which one do you think should win i'm torn on this one i really am i think for me it's it's very close between arrival and moonlight Mm. very close between arrival and moonlight and if
1: you gun to your head you have to pick arrival or moonlight what are you going for
0: I'd like to see Arrival win. I'd like to see a sci-fi film win an Oscar. Mm. As much as I love Moonlight, and Moonlight probably it's very close to see to see which would be the better film. Moonlight's fantastic. Arrival's fantastic. I'd like to see it go to Arrival. In an ideal world, it would go to Arrival. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm, I'm all for the, ha- the the whole Oscars not so white thing, and you know it would be great if, if Moonlight did win. But I also think as as much as Oscars have been prejudiced against people of color. They're also prejudiced against films of genre. Um, wow, that sounds that sound like a powerful quote. I like that. I think <laughs> you should have left yeah, that. Yeah, I think I should have left just left that, that Left that as it. What? Wow. Oscars I'm happy with that. Yeah. So Oscars. Sci-fi. Not so. Yeah. Oscars. Not so. Oscar. Um, yeah, I'd, like, I'd really like to see it go to Arrival, to be honest. Because uh, I think Denny, Denny Villeneuve is a fantastic director. Um, as is Barry Jenkins. It, it's very close for me. It's very close. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm gonna where come would down, you like to see it go?
1: I'll come down on the other side of that divide, Paul. I, I, I would say the reason that I come down on the side of Moonlight, because I'm with you. I think those two are, are probably my front runners. Um, I would come down on the side of Moonlight for the fact that since seeing both films, um, Arrival had an incredible... Like, I think... I cried at the end of Arrival and I'm not too big to admit that it had an incredibly powerful effect on me having seen it I think it sort of drifted to the back of my mind and I'll go back to it or revisit it and I'm sure I'll enjoy it again however Moonlight the further I get from seeing that film I think the more of a grip it has over me I
0: would completely agree with that I had this this conversation at work again today um, about actually the more I think about Moonlight um, the more I think how how really good it was so yeah I would agree with you on that one yeah and, and
1: how the three sections just stand up and and are so individuated from each other but so of a piece and how you've got these mannerisms those, as we mentioned in our review that are sort of brought from each actor to the next through from the, the young child through to the adult and then those sequences that occur in the third section uh, between the, the grown version of mm. um, of our central character uh, whose name completely escapes me right now um, but yeah the the grown version of that character and the guy that he previously had relations with I think it's some of the best stuff I've seen on screen in in a number of years uh, incredible chemistry between mm. those two actors so yeah I would personally give it to Moonlight if I had that say which I don't um, and Paul would go for Arrival and I think both of them very worthy choices what about best actor then Paul? Where would you fall here? So, I mean, to remind you, you've got Andrew Garfield, Ryan Gosling, Duncan no, Washington, Garfield. Casey Affleck, Viggo. Absolutely Water not, Summer. Andrew Garfield. Five. Sorry. Yeah, this is well, Hacksaw Ridge or Silence, but yeah, Hacksaw Ridge is the one for which he's been nominated,
0: and he absolutely shouldn't have done. It. If he, I mean, if Hacksaw, if Hacksaw Ridge was, um, if Hacksaw Ridge was, uh, no, I liked Hacksaw Ridge. I did. I enjoyed the film. If Andrew Garfield, if there was an award for playing Forrest Gump in a film then I think Andrew Garfield should probably win it. Anyway, we're not talking about who shouldn't win it, we're talking about who should win it. Yeah, who Um, should? Again, it's a close call. It's a toss-up for me between Denzel Washington and Casey Affleck. I didn't actually go too much on Manchester by the Sea, and a lot of people have have gone mad for it, and maybe I need to watch it again in the context of not a cinema full of morons, uh, which might help matters. But that being said, his performance was superb, but then as was Denzel Washington's, but I'm going to go for... Casey Affleck?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a funny one for me because I'm a big fan of Kenneth Lonergan. I was really excited to see Manchester by the Sea. Unfortunately, missed it at the cinema, so I've got to catch up with it late, so I'm yet to see it. However, I'm probably going to lay my support in, in that court with uh, Manchester by the Sea just because of, I think, the the subject matter and what I've seen of that film, it seems as if it's the kind of performance that would be for me one of my favourite Well it's the
0: kind of I, performance I... when you, you forget someone's acting and if you completely forget that that person is, is an actor playing a character then that's a performance that's completely suckered yeah. you so, and, I mean, I and, and it's certainly that performance I don't want
1: so. to overlook the fact that it, who's probably going to win here, I it, I think it would probably be Casey Affleck and with a close second Ryan Gosling and I, and I don't think Ryan Gosling is bad at all um, Denzel
0: I, Washington's performance in Fences is definitely definitely in better than ryan gosling's in I, yeah i just think there la la are there but... are sort of
1: there are sort of weaker elements to ryan gosling's performance in la la land that, yeah. that take it out of the running there um best actress what do you think so in this category you've got emma stone you've got isabelle Huppert for l you've got ruth negger for loving you've got meryl street for florence foster jenkins and you've got Natalie portman of course for jackie
0: Isabelle pair for L. Oh no, wait, because I haven't managed to see that film in the UK yet. I'd love to have been able to respond to that, but there we go. Then studio sort your UK releases out, please. Um, I've just, seen it. Just it's a good. bit of a just a bit of a there. Um, I think it's got to be Natalie Portman for Jackie. Every, everyone who listens to this knows how much, just how much I love Jackie, uh, and I think Natalie' performances performance is amazing in that.
1: I just, I just want to show you very quickly, Paul, that the uh, the uh, picture of Alan Stone there. Yeah, Google have, have placed an Andrew Garfield picture in the Emma Stone box. Oh, OK. But, but oh, anyway, fair enough. Uh, I think on this one... I'm so Emma
0: Stone's playing Andrew Garfield in a film? That would be impressive. <laughs> Apparently
1: so. I think here I'm going to give um, my nod to Emma Stone. And the reason being that I think La La Land is a film that I like less than probably the the mass, the mass masses, let's say. But I think that the beating heart of that film is Emma Stone's performance I th- would agree with that Yeah, I she's, think she's fantastic it's a fantastic piece of casting it's a great performance whatever you think about the film I think it's very hard to criticise that performance so I would say if she if she takes that award I would say it's pretty well deserved um, one more that we wanted to cover here is the best director where are you on
0: this one Paul? Uh, Damien Chazelle for Whiplash so we've got oh no wait sorry that was that that was last year sorry yeah we've got (laughs) Damien Chazelle for La La Land we've got Denis Villeneuve for
1: Arrival we've got Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea we've got Barry Jenkins for Moonlight we've got Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge it's almost as if the Oscars take about 10 films and then distribute all the awards amongst those same 10 films yes oh wait they do so from these five who would you go for if you had the choice
0: Barry Jenkins for
1: Moonlight. Yeah, co-sign on that. I think it's an incredible achievement. And you know what else adds to that case? Every time I see Barry Jenkins interviewed and talk about Moonlight, the guy is so articulate yes. and warm and intelligent and clear-sighted that I just think the guy deserves all the accolades that are coming his way quite honestly. And that's not
0: to take it away and you know I made the I made the, the you know joke that made me laugh about Damien Chazelle for Whiplash and I think Damien Chazelle is a man that probably will win an Oscar and probably deserves an Oscar. But I th- just the, the point I'm making about Damien Chazelle, Whiplash—it almost feels like uh, the Academy realised last year that they might have overlooked Whiplash, or have given him all the plaudits. Uh, potentially going to give him all the plaudits this year. Mm. Um, I don't know where you, where you stand on that. I think Whiplash is a superior film to La La Land in in almost every every respect. But um, we'll see. We'll see. I I I think La La Land will clear up. There's worse films that could. There's worse films that have won Oscars over film. La La Land. It's a very good film. Yeah. There's work. You know. There's there's films. There's worse films that have won Oscars over La La Land. Titanic beating LA Confidential, for example, is probably one of the biggest injustices in our Oscar injustices in our lifetime, certainly. Um, we'll we'll see we'll see where we go next week. If you know if there's an upset, we'll probably talk about it. If there isn't an upset, we'll probably just go La La Land won everything and we'll move on. Absolutely. So, I mean,
1: Paul. Just before we wrap up on the Oscars, is there anything else that like stood out where you thought? in that category that thing deserves a, a prize i don't i don't know if, if anything sort of came to mind for you there
0: no i would say probably viola davis is supporting actress for fences she's amazing in it mm. and both the, the chemistry between the two of them is fantastic because I, I think we talked talked about this i don't want to repeat myself too much so i talked about it in the review earlier but the chemistry that certainly denzel share and it's nice to see denzel washington acting again uh, properly mm. rather than just storming around in an angry way um, th- phoning in performances.
1: Flight was really good, though.
0: Flight was good, yeah. I don't know I did like him in flight, actually. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. Um. Yeah, I think she deserves to win for that. That was probably the other. The I've other I've got definitely. a
1: couple yeah. of a couple of nods that I picked up, but I'm not going through loads of awards. Uh, one of them is uh, best original score. I think you should go to Mika Mikachu Mika you know if you listen to this. Uh, I think we probably brought it up. That her work was one of the great strengths of Under the Skin, um, that really yeah. weird kind of woozy score. And she scored uh, Jackie. And Jackie had and Jackie that sort, sort score of woozy, yeah. again, that sort of woozy, yeah. disorienting feel to the whole thing, which I think was perfect, pitch perfect for that film. So, yeah, that. Um, and a weird one to throw in at the end, but best sound editing. It was one of those times, I don't think about sound editing very much, but when I watched this film, I thought, this isn't particularly great but the sound editing is incredible incredible. which is Deepwater Horizon which we reviewed earlier on a incredible, incredible sound editing. It's there. funny you
0: should say that because that, that uh, the soundtrack on the Blu-ray apparently has been getting some amazing reviews as well uh, mm. for being like actually even if you're not that into the film audio files should check out the soundtrack but yeah. that's got very geeky quite quickly. Yeah, well, that's right what at we the do end, over so here yeah. at the Strange in the Cinema podcast.
1: Yeah. So yeah Paul you, you give me the wrap up sign I think we should wrap this thing up. Um, anything else to say for this week or should we just go through our social media
0: stuff? I think just go through this social media stuff thanks for listening guys uh thanks for staying with us week on week uh, the the listening figures are up so thank you so um more people are listening than ever so uh, uh, where, welcome where can on people more. get in
1: contact with the show paul
0: people can get on people can get on contact with the show on instagram strangers in the cinema we try and share some some images from the films that we've seen on there uh twitter at strangers cinema uh facebook strangers in the cinema or email us on strangers in the cinema at gmail.com Mm. so uh, for this week uh, from him Paul Anderson and me Pete Wall and no you've, you've forgotten a
1: feature I have, you, not, forgotten. I have oh, not you need okay. to have a little bit more I faith. see okay uh, yeah from him Paul Anderson and from me Pete Wall hi no bander there is
0: no band goodbye